going to pray the words of a hymn. Speak, Lord, in the stillness while I wait on thee. Hushed my heart to listen in expectancy. Speak, O blessed Master, in this quiet hour. Let me see thy face, Lord. Feel thy touch of power. For the words thou speakest, they are life indeed, living bread from heaven. Now my spirit feed. All to thee is yielded. I am not my own. Blissful, glad surrender. I am thine alone. Speak, Lord. Thy servant heareth. Be not silent, Lord. Wait my soul upon thee for the quickening word. Fill me with the knowledge of thy glorious will. All thine own good pleasure in thy child fulfill. A prayer expressing something of that heart of the hymn writer wanting to learn yet more of what God has for them. And I hope and trust that that's what each and every one of us are wanting. A spokesperson from Age Concern once said this, The biggest concern we have is with people who have mental arthritis. That sense of their struggling to learn or take on new uh, information. But I think of the words of Churchill. You can never stop learning. Now, I don't mean, by the way, when I refer to Churchill, that that was Winston, in case you're thinking, well, I can't remember him saying that. He may or may not have done. I'm thinking of somebody that I knew in an old people's home in the mid-80s called Mr. Churchill. Uh, I'd not long been a uh, Christian, and, uh, and quite quickly I got involved with uh, going to do a, a monthly uh, service in a couple of peop- old people's homes. And this was one that was based at, uh, at Christchurch. Uh, and I used to go with a, uh, an elderly guy by the name of Sam Whitelaw, uh, who's now gone, since uh, gone to be with the Lord. Uh, Sam was quite a stern Scotsman. You'll be pleased to, to know that's Woken Ian up there at the back. And, uh, and I, I learned a lot from Sam uh, Whitelaw. Um, as I say, he's no longer here, but uh, much of those early years of my own being a Christian, I, I would be there to, to just serve the tea and maybe do a reading and then kind of Monday, maybe closed in prayer or whatever. And, and then bit by bit, I was involved in leading from time to time. But Sam would have this real way about him. Although very stern, he had a heart of gold. And always back on time when it was due for that afternoon service to begin, he would look over his spectacles and with true Scottish accent say, Well, ladies and gentlemen, the hour has come. <laughs> and then the service would start. And it was a short service. There would be familiar hymns and there would be a little talk and usually some form of feature, much humour. But always, 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 Mr. Churchill would then feel obliged at the end of that service to stand 
to give about a 30 or 60 second speech of thanks on behalf of the residents of the home for us taking the trouble to come out and to spend time with them. And he always used to say, you can never stop learning. Now, Mr. Churchill then would have been at the very least late 80s. And I'm talking this was in the 1980s. He loved the Lord. I can still remember his face that impacted me so greatly as through those services where there was every now and then, let's say, one or two people that were falling asleep and one or two others maybe even snoring. But Mr. Churchill, his eyes were popping out of his head, always beaming smart. He could not get enough of that, what I would say was quite a lightweight time together. You can never stop learning. I shared this morning about a lady called Janet who lives at Fleur de Lis who got taken into hospital and I heard about that and went to see uh, Janet to hopefully um, impart something by way of a blessing that she may well feel great as a result of my visit. I was the one who left feeling so blessed. Janet was saying she's been an Anglican all her life, uh, she said, with a great deal of pride. But she said, I really enjoy it at the community church. And she mentioned what I love is the amount of Bible teaching and references to scripture. And again, that heart that she was uh, sharing was of how you can always learn more. A lady of 98. She did add, admittedly, We're not as spiritual here as the Anglican Church, which I thought was a a rather sort of a a thing that made me sort of smile within. But I love that heart. There was a phrase that was used in education some years ago. And although they've moved on to other uh, kind of um, sound bites, I'm sure, that phrase was about the belief of lifelong learning. I hope you feel that that is something that is true of you. Learning is one of our own values here as a church. We can always learn. Uh, We're um, kind of towards the end of a series of 10, looking at the values of what it means and what it looks like to be a part of the church here. You can download those on where it says membership and there's stuff like believing, worshipping, praying, belonging, serving, sharing, witnessing, giving. And we've now come to this one, learning, which is what we're thinking about uh, this evening. As we think about that whole uh, element of uh, spiritual growth, a lot of my uh, time is spent with people on their, their, uh, their spiritual journey and where they feel they're at and the struggles uh, that they have. I want to share br- very briefly four myths about spiritual growth. First myth is this. It all happens when we become a Christian. No, it doesn't. It may well be that that's a a fantastic transformation if you've had one of those fanfare of trumpets type testimonies and that can happen more usually for people that haven't had a faith upbringing or a church background and then suddenly they're exposed to the Lord, they're convicted of their sin and they make their profession of faith and, and their lives are turned upside down. But that whole thing of, wow, everything's downloaded. Now I I can see everything so clearly. Uh Uh-uh. Second myth. Our growth happens naturally over time. No, it doesn't. It can sound very logical, can't it? 
that growth happens naturally over time. Well, it may well be true in terms of a baby, and then that baby becoming a toddler, and the toddler then uh, becomes a child that then walks to school, and they then, before you know it, they're a teenager, and then boom. Well, we understand what that growth looks like. Spiritual growth is very, very different. We grow over time, yes, as does a plant, etc. But growth, healthy growth, spiritually, only uh, is going to occur where there is the right environment and the right food. Here's a couple of verses from Scripture. um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says to a church there, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Maybe unspiritual, like the community church. (laughs) Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready for it. You are still worldly. What an indictment on that church at Corinth that prized itself with having all these amazing spiritual gifts that they had and were using. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, we read it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you now need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, solid and not solid food. The only thing that happens naturally over time is that we get older. And I believe I'm writing saying that any mirror will indeed confirm that to both you and to me. Wouldn't that be true? It certainly would. So that's another myth, isn't it? Here's a third myth. It's all to do with self-effort. No, it isn't. There is that, that truth that we have a responsibility in terms of our growth. But the Christian life is different, isn't it? We have God's Holy Spirit within who is there to guide, to equip us, to enable us to be the people that by nature we're we're not. Often it can be there's that sense of striving. I've seen that over and over of believers trying harder and harder to conquer a particular sin. To try harder and harder in this area or in that area because it's all about themselves. That's the way they've, they've kind of like learned how life is in terms of their place of work or in terms of their place in the family or in the pecking order or whatever else. We have God's Holy Spirit within. And he is there to actually help us in that journey. Fourth myth. Our learning is best accomplished alone. Now, obviously we can learn on our own. You can read a book, you can watch uh, the God channel and and listen hopefully an appropriate uh, uh, message that's great. Or you can actually read uh, uh, the scripture yourself at home, that's great. But actually as we uh, can see time and time again, God's people got together. There was value not just of fellowship for fellowship's sake, but in terms of the learning in a corporate sense, like we're doing this evening, like we did this morning. But also in that small group environment. Where, as we know, uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, uh, encourages us in the the same way as iron sharpens iron, 
So man sharpens another or person sharpens another. There's something that we can spark off from one another. And, and if you're a part of a, a life group, I know Gerald runs a life group. We heard this morning of three people sharing the different groups that they're in. Dave runs a, a life group uh, as well. Ian actually runs a life group. Well, they're all coming out tonight, aren't they? Um, Saturday mornings where we're in cafe church. Great opportunities for sharing uh, together. Uh, somebody was saying to me this morning, I'm just overwhelmed with this this Saturday church thing that you do. I always leave having learned something that I didn't know before that seems to be applicable. I thought that was a wonderful uh, testimony uh, there. Christianity is about relationships, isn't it? And we do indeed learn from one another. And that learning in its wider sense is best achieved through the corporate body. So that's just a few myths that I wanted uh, to touch on, which uh, I hope you'll think, yep, okay, I get that. There are a variety of myths out there. We need to be alert to that. Maybe you're one of those people that you're uh, reflecting on your own Christian life and you're one of those people who says, you know what, I don't think I'm getting anywhere. Or as soon as I feel as if I'm getting anywhere at all, it's a bit like a game of snakes and ladders. It's taken me so long to actually get to point square 78. And if you're age 78, there's nothing about the name, the number 78. And all of a sudden you then come across a snake and you go all the way down to the bottom again. I mean, oh no, I'm back to square one. Sometimes it can feel like that. A struggle to progress, but we then fall from grace, in inverted commas, all too quickly. I don't feel as if I'm getting anywhere. How can I this? How can I that? And we want that sense of speed and quickness. Uh, Well, we thought a little bit this morning about that, and not going to go over that uh, uh, at all in too much um, detail. Just to mention mention reference uh, of the points about maybe why uh, we are, um, why it can take so, so long. We are slow to learn very often, aren't we? I'm very, very slow of learning anything new, certainly uh, when it comes uh, to anything uh, technical. Um, We had a a message through even this afternoon, in terms of we had a lunch here today, uh, which was great, and then message comes through about, well, was the the dishwasher uh, switched on and then fully drained through? I haven't a clue. So I, I, I don't know, absolutely no idea. Well, there's an instruction manual thing that's on the wall. I took one look at that and, well, I nearly passed out, to be quite frank, because immediately I see all those words on a wall. I panic. It's not me. I'm slow to learn. You know, those a simple guide too. I usually need a simple guide to the simple guide. I don't know what's the matter with me, but maybe you can connect with that. We're slow to learn. God's word very often repeats itself. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's not that God has kind of had an element of Alzheimer's and forgotten that he's already said something. Far from it. God knows there are certain things that we need to hear and then to rehear and then to rehear again. When God repeats himself, we need to pay attention. Repetition implies importance. That doesn't mean that the most uh, repeated commands are necessarily the most important uh, commands. But we know from Jesus that the most important commandment was what? To love the Lord God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbours as ourselves. But the most repeated uh, verses of Scripture certainly means that it's something 
important. And if we're paying careful attention, we'll see that the most repeated commands are usually means of helping us to obey the most important commandments. Repetition is important because we're slow to learn. We even had that meal that the Lord Jesus Christ set aside to us, didn't didn't we? In terms of the Last Supper, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Because if I don't tell you to do it, you're going to forget. I want you to keep doing this and keep doing this until what? Until the Lord comes. To be repeated, to be repeated. We've sometimes got much to unlearn as well, haven't we? I can remember when I went to uh, to Bible college, and I may well have made reference to this uh, before. I'd only been in, in one particular type of church before going uh, to Moreland's Bible College, which is a fantastic uh, college, interdenominational college, um, not interfaith, interdenomination. It's Christian uh, college, evangelical college. And I think at the time I went back in 1990, my goodness me, that seems a long time ago now. Uh, when I went back in 1990, there were 17 different denominations uh, there, Christian denominations, when I went. And, uh, and I thought, wow, isn't it incredible how many people are wrong about so many things? Because, why? They didn't all think exactly the same as me. And after about two days, <laughs> I had to eat a great deal of humble pie. Because I realised that although we may well have had different experiences. There were people who had a much deeper prayer life than me. Much more of a worshipful sense of their Lord and Saviour than me. Who were much more connected in to mission than I was. And who actually had a deeper love for Jesus than I did. Wow, that's quite humbling, isn't it? And I needed to do some unlearning. Because although whatever our background is, we like to think we've got everything right. I tell you what, there's going to be some surprises in glory. We don't have everything right. Do check everything out with the word of God, won't you? But even there, of course, there can be different interpretations. I tend to think when I look at what other commentators and biblical scholars say about different uh, passages of scripture, that if you've got Bible-believing, Jesus-loving experts that are saying the same thing about the meaning of a particular word or phrase uh, or passage, uh, 10 out of 10 of them, well, that's probably right. If there are five saying this, but five saying the opposite, who am I to be dogmatic? And you may well usually hear me throw out, well, some people say this, some people say that. It's very dangerous to be dogmatic on those things that ultimately can be usually secondary issues. I can remember a church not far from here that had, as a very brave, open evening, um, there was a paper by the, uh, the leader of this particular church, and a few of us uh, went because we were intrigued about the subject, and it was about women in, uh, in leadership, and particularly in terms of eldership. And the, uh, the leader put a brilliant uh, um, for and a brilliant against um, paper together. And it was impossible to know exactly what he felt. And it was absolutely with absolute integrity the way that he presented this. That was great. But he then made a very important point as he, there was a Q&A and, and he was wrapping up. He said, we need to remember, this is not a first order question. We can make it that for all sorts of reasons. We can fight hard 
to justify our position from what we believe scripture says. But what are you going to do with the other 50%? And it's probably around about that, of Bible-believing individuals who disagree with your viewpoint. Going to have a punch-up about it? Going to fall out about it? Or are you going to agree to disagree because there's something that is more important in terms of our love relationship as one church, in terms of who Jesus is and getting on with what that which matters most so we've got much to unlearn and then thirdly i touched on this whole thing of uh, of maybe sometimes we just don't want to learn and that can be uh, true uh, i think maybe we've kind of like reached that plateau of well i've read the bible twice or i've read the bible five times or i use daily bread and i've got a bit bored and the word for day that seems a bit stale and i've tried the the you know the, the word and on cd and And it's all just a bit flat and we can then stop. God's word is forever relevant to his people. For every time, every place and every people. Sometimes it's ourselves needing to take stock, isn't it? In terms of where indeed we are at. So what is going to help us? So we looked at that this morning. The first thing that I mentioned was about believe that God is already at work in your life. And the reason I started with that is because very often it strikes me with the people I talk to, people have a view of where they're at, that I'm down here and everybody else has got it sorted. You think, well, that's fascinating, because yesterday I spoke to somebody else over here and they said, well, I'm down here and everybody else is, is up here. Why is it that we are projecting everybody else as being at this kind of massive sort of spiritual guru person where we're maybe right the way down here? Well, probably because we look around at everybody else and how we present to others, it's maybe that we got it all taped. Well, it strikes me that that's not necessarily the case, but God is at work in your life as much as anybody else's probably. And some of those feelings that we have that are down on ourselves are self-esteem issues because we're down on ourselves about everything else. Sometimes it can be because this really does matter for us. We want to be doing what the preacher says because he's preaching what God's word teaches. We think, I want to get that right. I've sat where you are and I've heard a message and thought, yes, 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 but I'm no good at that. And then, of course, we can hit ourselves over the head. And if that's the area of vulnerability that we've got, what's the enemy going to do? He's going to bang you over the head and even harder than you are already banging yourself over the head. That would certainly be true. So we thought about that. We thought about the importance of perseverance, of keeping going. It takes time to build in those good uh, habits. We're going to have blips from time to time, but whatever it takes, do seek to encourage one another about that which has helped you, maybe, in your own journey, in your own walk. What has kept you motivated? What has restored uh, your faith? There's uh, the old adage of what comes in goes out. So ensuring that we have the right spiritual food going in uh, is essential. And primarily that right food going in is based on on this book, isn't it? On the Word of God. And I want us to to touch briefly uh, on that uh, this evening, not to touch briefly on the Word of God, but why it's important to be devoted to God's Word. 
When at Pentecost, God's spirit fell upon that hodgepodge group of people that weren't spiritual giants at all. Let's be honest, they would have probably all had these, in, but huge capital letters. They were major learners. They didn't know anything. But God began to change his world through that handful of people. And as then there's that Pentecost message that Peter brings, and 3,000 come to Christ and are baptised that day. There's then passage, uh, verses 42 to 47, in Acts chapter 2, where you read about the immediate outpouring uh, of God's Holy Spirit, the result in the church and in the community and beyond of the impact of, of what God was doing in the church. And as you go through those six verses... There are 17 outcomes. I know that because I've preached a 17-point sermon on it. There you go, there you go. That's 17 points. And you're glad you weren't there for that one, aren't you? Some of you probably were. It's an amazing passage of what God is doing through his people. But it starts off in verse 22 by saying they were devoted to... And there are four things listed. And the first thing is teaching They were devoted to the teaching that they were receiving. Now that word devoted is a very powerful word, isn't it? On my uh, day off uh, this week on Friday, um, I was on my own in the house. I had some pretty dull paperwork uh, to deal with. So I'm I'm there doing that kind of stuff, but I, I like music on in the background. And so I thought, well, I'll find a channel that's got... Uh, uh, the stuff that I like, which is 70s or 80s stuff. And it had a random 70s channel for a couple of hours. So I thought, great. I'm on my own in the house, volume 80. So up it went. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was in the next room. So good excuse. That was fine. And in came a song from the film Grease. Remember the film Grease? Yes, which at the time was, oh, that's a bit tut-tut. It looks so tame now, I have to say. John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, you're the one that I want. But in burst, as I was doing my boring paperwork, Olivia Newton-John with the song, Hopelessly Devoted to You. Now, what was she saying about this John Travolta character? If she's singing her heart out, I'm hopelessly devoted to you. That is a powerful word. We know that is communicating something very passionate, very deep, very meaningful. God's people, in response to the Spirit coming upon them, was that they were devoted to, firstly, teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Let's not belittle the importance of that. So... In terms of our being devoted to God's word, what do we get out of this? Well, there's all sorts of things. I've just listed around about six things, but they're only uh, sound bites for you. God's word shows us how we get a fresh start, doesn't it? Where am I at in my life? How can I get right with God? It's all here. It's all here. If there's anyone that's not yet kind of worked out that question, we can take you to God's word and say, follow this. That sense of we sometimes use an expression of an ABC. There's something to admit in terms of our sin. There's something to believe in terms of who Jesus is and what he did when he came to give of his life on the cross. And see, there's something to commit ourselves, committing ourselves to God and seeking to follow him. 
God's word shows us how to get a fresh start. God's word reminds us that we are not alone. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Is one of the promises that's repeated more than anything else. It may well, actually, I should have double-checked this. Uh, a scholar may, among you may well know. I've got a feeling that's the, the promise that God says more than anything. Is that right? Would that be right? Dave and Jean, they're pretty scholarly. They're both nodding in the right place. It's certainly a lot. Do not be afraid, for I am with you, says God. Why does he say that more than anything else? I would have a guess. Because I get afraid and I need to know that God is with me. Isn't that what you need to hear? When tough times come, we need that reminder of what we've heard a thousand times. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. You can remember a very unpleasant operation I had. That verse being recurring as it's going through my mind and me then saying, but actually, I'm really scared. Help me. To not be afraid. And then reminding myself of what God said. Do not be afraid for I am with you. And then thankfully the next thing I knew was I I recovered and was out of, you know, and the anaesthetic had worn off. Yes! But I've remembered that time. What mattered more than anything else was knowing that God was there with me. There are times where we need to know that. God's word guides us in our thinking. Children love to learn. They soak it up like a sponge. Young people challenge. They're wanting to think through all these big first order questions. Where did I come from? Why is there suffering? What's going to happen to me when I die? When we reach adulthood, well, we know all the answers. Until a crisis comes. And for people with a non-faith perspective... It usually, for an adult, is reliant upon a crisis coming for them to realise they need God and are being forced to rethink and relearn afresh. When Paul spoke to the church at Rome, he said, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. May God grant us that sense of openness to forever be learning. God's word helps us to know how to live. Uh, We can no longer assume that it's obvious how you should live because uh, there are less and less absolutes, aren't there? In actual fact, I'm thinking that's even an absolute in itself, isn't it? Even as I just uh, said that. So for as a Christian, when we say, well, that Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Well, he was either right or he was wrong. We believe he was the only way. Well, that's going to be kind of like viewed as, as at the very least arrogance by people out there. Because we've got to be PC. We've got to not offend what others are, are feeling or saying. You may well have heard on the radio this week, uh, it was in the news about uh, a drag queen that was reading stories to primary uh, school children and parents hadn't been informed. And the the hostility uh, from parents about them not being told and the council apologised. And then there was even more hostility, get this, because of, of what parents are saying about, well, the council shouldn't have apologised for that in the first place. That's totally fine because we're in an age that... Now, we're not going to get into that debate. But there's a whole host of grey out there, isn't there? Now, when I was at school, you were either male or you were female. Most of you 
are probably still of that ilk that that's one of t- you've got a choice of two genders. Yeah, you check out Google. There are, I think, in excess of 130 genders. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm not passing judgment on that. Suffice to say that if we go back to God's word, he kind of makes it all very crystal clear about the way we're made and what we're here for, doesn't he? When I was a school governor, anybody in teaching or been involved in teaching? Yeah, a few of you, great. Yes, yes, Gerald's there with his hand up, looking at me like that as if I've been a naughty boy. Um, I, I was a school governor uh, when my kids went to school for about seven years. And part of the, 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 um, the time that I was there, the school was seeking to rebrand itself a little bit. And they wanted a, a, a great positive strap line for the school, which was a, a junior school. That was great. And then the governing body came up with one. And they said, what about uh, school promotes, uh, what was it, uh, promotes good morals. And everybody said, yes, 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 very good, yes, that's right, that's what we want to be known for. And then Muggins here, who probably did very little as a governor, I said, well, depends what you mean by good morals. Now, they knew that I was the guy from the church. And they go, well, what on earth is he saying that for? You're the guy that should be promoting what it means to be moral. I said, I didn't, didn't mean that you had to be immoral. But what you mean by what's moral might be very different to me. How do you know what it means to promote good morals? You're saying that's what you're doing as a school. How do you define that? And bit by bit, that debate went on and on and on until the head teacher spoke because it had to go back and back and back. And then the head teacher said, I guess it all goes back to the Ten Commandments. Boom! You see, when we go to the Word of God, we do have a plumb line about what is right and what is wrong, about what it means to be moral, what it means to be immoral. We do have something. It's not dependent on what the age says, or what the culture says, or what another country says, or what your parents say, or what your best friend says, or whether or not, you know, take your pick of this supermarket, 130 genders, or what have you. Now, I don't want to um, trivialise any of the difficult, complex issues that are out there. But God's word does help us know how to live, does it not? And even if an atheist lived by God's word, they'd be all the better for it. God's word helps us know how to live. God's word helps us and gives us hope, does it not? It gives us hope in the now, but it also gives us hope in the world beyond. I'm not going to say anything more about that, uh, but if you need to know anything more about that, well, you go to a, a Christian funeral. You can have a smile on your face. It may well be a sense of tragedy for the sense of the family that's lost someone that they love, especially if it's a younger person, especially if it was unexpected. But wow, the sense of joy at knowing that there's something better, that's massive, isn't it? And yet you go to someone's funeral and there was no idea what they believed. Or there was an idea. And they certainly were very black and white about the fact that they had no faith at all. Where's the hope? You speak about the nice person and you go home. I'm feeling pretty depressed. No hope. There is, from God's word, 
That's why we need that coming in, to help us in our learning. And the other thing is that God's work reveals the bigger picture. Before Jesus, think about that. God's people forever looking forward to what God might do. Those first followers of Jesus had some uh, pointers about how things fit together. And as Gerald has rightly kind of got us excited, right? imagine what that would have been like. But in actual fact, although we weren't there, we've got the huge advantage that they didn't have of being able to look back and see the context for all of that and where that fitted with the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Spirit, the development and growth of the early church and beyond. So there's a whole variety of things as we think uh, about the value of our own being devoted to God's word. We then look this morning at not giving up meeting together. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 uh, seems to be quite poignant uh, where he says to the believers there, the writer to the Hebrews says to the believers there, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What do you do with people that have not been around for a while? Do you tuck because they come out with some pathetic excuse why they're not here again? Some people are going through pain right now. Some people feel let down by the church, so they're not here. Who's it up to? Well, that's their own fault. Well, they need a man up a little bit. Or woman up, I suppose I ought to say. Current climate, etc., etc. Well, maybe. But maybe they need a bit of TLC or a phone call or a card sent. We could each do that, couldn't we? Each do that. There are usually reasons why people are not around. Sometimes it is true we need to look to ourselves. People will cite, well, I'm too busy. I didn't feel like it this week. Well, we're having a break. Can't get the children ready in time. I'm too tired. There was a good game on TV. I don't really feel that I need it as much these days. I don't like the way you do certain things. I'm certainly not going to come out on a Sunday evening where you have all those old hymns. Or, equally, certainly not going to come out on a Sunday morning where you've got all that racket that goes on in the corner. Especially that guy who's banging away in the corner on those drums. Who is that guy? His name's Leo. No, I'm just Actually, it's normally me. It's normally me. And with such strong viewpoints that we got. So we decide to then think, I'm better off out. Really? Is that really the bigger picture? What is God's heart for you? Well, his word makes it very clear. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. I hear this kind of stuff all the time. It goes on, probably every week with someone, I have to say. And this is 30 years worth. So I think I'm entitled to an opinion here. Um, and regardless of whether or not you think I am, I am. And I'm going to tell you what it is. We're very good at justifying why we're not here. Why we don't come to certain things. Regardless of what the meeting is. And sometimes those reasons can be quite valid. But we then justify our absence. And the enemy knows it. We've got to be very careful that that doesn't lead to a downward spiral, something that started off as a thin end of the wedge. Yes, there's been this awful family tragedy or whatever, and you need some time out. And the last thing people need is maybe being hugged by 60 people. I get that. Too much love, can't cope with it. Well, maybe I'm not ready for it yet, week two. And then week three. And then, of course, by week four, 
well, nobody's thrown me up, nobody missed me, then it's the church's fault for not actually, well, I'm not going to bother going then. Do you see what's happened? Something that started off seemingly quite reasonable, before you know it, thin at the end of the wedge. The other thing that struck me over the years is that very often during those darker times, I believe the place and the people that we are intended to be amongst during those times are God's people, our brothers and sisters. Mm. Do you know the irony is that the first group of people, very often, that believers withdraw from, you know what I'm going to say, I think, don't you? Is the people that actually they need to be amongst most. That's really quite bizarre, isn't it? And I'm, I'm talking about adults here, not children, because they usually haven't got a choice. We need to be amongst our brothers and sisters. Isn't there something in the word brothers and sisters that speaks of close-knit relationship and us being together? Think of all those kind of like things on a, uh, on, a, on a washing line and there being loads and loads of, of washing line props that are propping up that line. Uh, we're each one of those and we need one another so we can help support one another and Dave is going to be thinking a little bit more about that I'm sure next week as we think about that support of one and another I hope you seek to prioritize that sense of being together but I also hope that you prioritize lettuce in your diet anybody into lettuce sounds a bit dull doesn't it unless I set the context let us draw near to God let us hold on to what we believe let us spur one another on to do God to do good let us meet together let us encourage one another who is the us it's not a solitary thing is it it's our faith that's worked out as the body of Christ there are occasions where we need maybe time out and time on our own. There are occasions where we need a trusted friend, and that's it. But by and large, we need regular input in a corporate sense where we can be together in whatever shape or form that works out as, as church. So we close, and we move on to how poignant that you mentioned, Louise, about, was it your daughter-in-law? Yeah, your daughter-in-law that's passed their driving test. Fantastic. I mentioned this, this morning about my son having passed his driving test years ago. Stephen was a very good uh, driver and I wasn't at all surprised that he passed. But what was rather soul-destroying, because those L plates cost quite a bit of money for me and on my budget, was as soon as he passed his test, he ripped off his L plate and he ripped up his L plate. And I was like, what are you doing? He said, it just feels so good to know that I don't need those L plates anymore. Now, here is the question. We're each at a different stage of our life. I'm, I'm not really caring about physical age. I'm talking about our spiritual journey. We're all at a different stage of wherever our spiritual journey is. If I was going to ask you the question... In terms of your own life, at what time would you feel qualified to rip up your outplay? I wonder what you'd say. Never. Never is the right answer. Now, this would be my response. We know the answer, but sometimes would act a little bit differently. 
Oh, we're looking at the parable of the sower. Done that. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, Luke 15. Prodigal son. All oh, right, switch off mode. I know that. I've taught it in Sunday school. Heard it dozens of times. Do you see? No, we don't speak that out. But there can be a subliminal thinking that leads us to believe that we don't feel we can learn anything anymore. Or maybe it's a particular preacher. I'll say this because he's here in front of me, so then you know that I'm not sort of saying it behind his back. Oh, Dave Enright, next week? No point in coming, don't ever get anything from him. How arrogant is that? But what a small view of God's Holy Spirit we have, if that's our take. We have a variety of different uh, people that speak, and I'm grateful to God for raising up those individuals. They're all different. But for us to actually choose who we're going to hear from and who not, of course we could think, oh, I would never be like that. And then all of a sudden you've got a need for prayer. And there are five people at the front that you can receive prayer from. Well, I'm not going to go to them because I'm not going to get anything. Can you see what I'm saying? Oh dear, I don't feel so comfortable now. I felt a bit like that at times. We can be selective. Where we're going to learn most from. Who we're going to be blessed or, uh, or reached or connected with God with through most. Be on your guard against that. You're absolutely right that the answer is we should each be wearing one of these. When uh, I'll, uh, this morning we were, I was handing out some of these and Glyn, who's one of, he won't mind me sharing this. Glyn is one of our uh, uh, new elders here, great guy. And uh, I, could, I could see him as, as he came into church. He could see about a dozen or so people that were wearing uh, these, um, uh, these, these L plates. So he said, oh, uh, I, he said, I'm just wondering, am I, am I meant to have one of these one of these uh, L, L plates on. Now, what Glyn didn't know is that I had one left over that I'd saved for him. <laughs> so I, I, I said, well, um, I said, I've got, I've got one left over, but I, I said, don't worry about it. I, I said, well, we'll come to that later. And he looked at me and smiled. He said, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> Yesterday we were in Cafe Church, you see, and Glenn, it was his first time to host Cafe Church. And he did it brilliantly. No surprise there. But this is how he started. Right, okay, he said, wherever you're at with a cup of coffee. So I think it's time that we ought to make a start. Uh, my name's Glenn. Uh, so I want to give you a warm welcome to Dorchester Family Church. Um, oh, no, I'm not. So we all laughed. In case you didn't realise, that's not the name of our church here. Um, before coming here, wherever Glyn has been, the, the name that's been the most consistent name is such and such family uh, church. So, of course, we, we all laughed. So I kind of cited that this morning and people laughed. I said, Glyn, come up here. And, of course, we duly gave him his, uh, his, L, uh, his, his L plate on because we all make mistakes, don't we? Wei Liang, who plays the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the keyboards amazingly, sometimes holding a child in his arm. And he still sees, he doesn't use any, any music. He's just absolutely incredible. As the theme for the week, uh, I shared with the worship group and I said, look, this is what I'm going to do with these, these L's. And Wei Liang said, well, he said, what about if we, in, in one of the songs, we, we actually sort of deliberately make, make, make a load of mistakes. And uh, as that group um, text was going round, Tom King then said, well, I thought we did that every week anyway, <laughs> just unplanned. And it was great. We laughed together. Why? 
Because we're all learners, aren't we? Let's keep being learners. When I was on a Bible college placement in Chesterfield, a guy of a church that I was at, who was my line of support there, said at the end of that three-week placement, Mike Dolby was his name, remain teachable. I've no idea whatever else he said. I believe that was a word from God through him to me. But I also believe it's a word that we each need to hear from God. And we can only be teachable if we are holding on to the fact that we're a learner. That's actually what the word disciple means. So we're not kind of trivialising this. The word disciple means I'm a learner. So I hope that you wear your L plate with that sense of pride. But it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to realise that we are on a journey. I challenge people this morning, I'll throw it out to you. There's a whole, whole host of ways that we are able to learn. I think balance is really important in church. So I want to leave you with a thought about that you seek your learning to be in three different ways. There is a time when we are able to learn on our own. Us of God. That's of value. You see that in scripture. Secondly, there is a value of our learning in a small group. That is very uh, scriptural. Could be cafe church, could be a life group. And thirdly, there is also the need for ourselves to make a choice to deliberately and consistently place ourselves where we are under the preached and applied word of God. A balance, three means of learning. Let's keep going and remain teachable. Let's pray.